Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Did you know that Iggy Pop's bird, Biggie Pop, just became the sponsor of a wildlife sanctuary? Oh, finally he's doing so good, that Biggie Pop. <laughs> finally he's doing good besides just making Iggy Pop happy, which is a full-time job in and of itself. <laughs> Welcome to No Dogs in Space, everybody. I'm Marcus Parks. I'm Carolina Hidalgo. And we got something special for you today. This is uh, what you call a mini-sode. This is yeah. a small thing, you know, we're we're in the middle of our vacation right now, but we didn't want to miss a week, uh, and something really big, at least in our world, was just released, so we figured we'd spend, you know, a good 30 minutes or so talking about it. And one thing y'all have heard us say over and over again is that the sources we have for the history of rock and roll, and specifically the history of punk rock, can be, to say the least, unreliable. It is. <laughs> because a lot of it's got to be, like, witnesses yeah people who were there and a lot of the times they're like dude that was like 40 years ago <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing is that a lot of times it was at least 40 years ago <laughs> and in the case of the fucking concert we're talking about today it was 50 years 50 ago years ago <laughs> 50 years ago this month yeah my yeah. dad was 12 <laughs> 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 so he was not at Goose Lake. No, he was okay. not. A, I guess. It, well, he was 15. So I guess he could have been there. <laughs> but he was down in Texas. He wouldn't go all the way up to Michigan. <laughs> and the other side of the equation is that not only are we dealing with 50 year old stories, we're also dealing with events that often occurred when everyone was out of their fucking minds on hallucinogenics, pharmaceuticals, alcohol, hard drugs, or in the case of the Stooges, all of them at the same time. Yes, it is all of the above. <laughs> that is option D. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. As such, the stories that came from the Stooges were at the same time some of the best and some of the most unreliable. Because not only were the Stooges on drugs, but the audience and everyone around them was usually highly fucked up as well. 
No greater example of this was the Stooges' infamous performance at the Goose Lake Festival on August 8th, 1970. Yeah, apparently there were lots of drugs in yeah. 1970 <laughs> at a festival. Of course there were. Like, it, I, I think I read somewhere that some people said there was up to 75% of the people were on, were on drugs or selling or buying or whatever. Uh, other people said 90%. Like, it really <laughs> depends on what your stance on is on that because some people are like it was horrible it was terrible uh just it, it was just like this haven of like bad things going on and other people were like what are you talking about man that was that was a great weekend <laughs> seedy was the word that i heard over and over again <laughs> to describe goose like i mean this was 1970 it was a year after woodstock and this is when this whole scene was starting to switch from weed lsd fun all that type of, you know, just like, yeah, like expand your mind to heroin, cocaine, horse <laughs> tranquilizers. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, it's it's moving into hard drug territory. And that, and they said at Goose Lake, like people were selling heroin. Like, I think we mentioned it in our episode, uh, selling heroin like it was fucking ice cream. Yeah, it was like cigars, cigarettes, heroin. <laughs> It was like the girls walking by with the feathers in their hair. It was kind of like that. Yeah, kind of like that, except it was a guy named Wavy Gravy (laughs) selling fucking heroin. But that was not the point of the promoters. Remember, there were a lot of promoters. They wanted to put on a a permanent site for a music festival because they were like, let's do this. Let's have uh, just a fun weekend of all the best bands. Like they really came. It came from a good place. And Russ Gibb. Being, remember, we talked about Russ Gibb uh, in the Stooges series. He's the person who actually gave the Stooges their very first professional gig at the Grandy Ballroom. He was one of the promoters as well. And he was like, no, we just wanted to have a fun time. Yeah. And we had the money to do it. Yeah, they wanted to have a fun time. They had the money to do it. They expected 60,000 people to show up. 200,000 showed up. Uh, They were wildly uh, outnumbered. You know, it wasn't like Woodstock 99 uh, when things got like real, real dark. Uh, But it was definitely, I mean, it was a drug-fueled clusterfuck. Like I said, it was seedy. That's what people, like, there were people, people were getting really high. There were orgies happening, like, in the audience. Like, there were just spontaneous orgies, uh, which sounds kind of cool. Like, you think that sounds cool. In theory. (laughs) But put some practice. It sounds very unhygienic. (laughs) Yeah, it's an orgy in a field uh, led by Wavy Gravy. (laughs) (laughs) The orgy's this way, man. (laughs) Now, we covered the Stooges show at Goose Lake in part three of our series on the band. But, Carolina, if you would, I'd still like you to give everyone like a quick refresh on the accepted story that we heard from multiple sources. Yes, of course. Uh, remember, uh, I read six books. Yeah. And, and they all featured the Goose Lake Festival like to some degree. It's so, a turning point in the band. Huge turning point. It really, really was. So, as I said before, Goose Lake Park, uh, they built it as the world's first permanent festival site that they were going to do all the time where after this particular weekend this first festival the area was banned from doing any festival ever again (laughs) (laughs) in that town uh, outside of uh, Jackson Michigan they're like yeah no you you guys blew it that was terrible (laughs) and this is the middle of 1970 right August 1970 so the Stooges were Ron and Scott Ashton they were brothers uh, if you remember Ron Ashton being like awesome guitar player Scott Ashton being the drummer yeah, <laughs> Dave Alexander playing bass, and Iggy Pop, of course, as a the front man, the lead singer, 
And they just released their second studio album, Funhouse. It was that Funhouse was released a month before Ghost Lake. Yeah. So this is like brand new shit. And Funhouse, you know, in full disclosure, is uh, you know my favorite Stooges album uh, and one of my favorite albums of all time. Like Funhouse is it's legendary. Yeah, it really, really is. And that's when they added a bonus Stooge, Steve McKay, you know, to play saxophone on. Yep. And they all, of course, invited him on the road with them. So he also showed up. So there were five Stooges for this for this great weekend. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like at least 60,000 people, but it, it is a an audience of 200,000 at least. Yes. Some actually some estimates actually put it at 300,000. God damn. But it, just the, the, I mean for my, you know, I guess my personal reference, it's like the city of Lubbock, Texas where I went to college. It's like if the city of Lubbock showed up. <laughs> they all at once. <laughs> And yeah, the, the whole weekend, it wasn't just the Stooges, of course. They, no. they they played like a 45 minute set, but they had other acts like Mountain, Jeff Earl Tull, Chicago, the MC5, Bob Seeger, and that's just to name a few. Yeah. Now, according to Iggy Pop, he had been there since the festival started the day before. <laughs> That's what he says. I don't know. That's what he says. <laughs> That's what he says, yeah. He had been going from tent to tent on the campgrounds, like getting super high with a friend of his that he had coming along, and he was just snorting whatever he could get his hands on, like Coke, or he said, it might have been ketamine. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, to put it in a perspective in the, the Stooges timeline, like this is w not only when the 70s started to turn, this is also when the Stooges started to turn uh, to hard drugs, you know, because, you know, if you've listened to the series, you know, like the Stooges absolutely had their problems. I mean, that's just a well-known fact. Yeah. The Stooges and specifically Iggy Pop had problems with hard drugs. It started with a recording of Funhouse. Uh, and and Iggy uh, tried heroin for the first time at that around that point. Around that time, yeah. So th this is when, you know, it, it's starting. This is when the Stooges start turning the corner into... Uh, I guess the the legend. Heroin Road, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. And so Iggy's going from tent to tent, making new friends, uh, <laughs> snorting up a lot of cocaine, and that's when it hit him. Total amnesia. Like, he just sat there. He was so stoned, he completely blanked on everything, and he just sat there terrified with his eyes, like, bugged out and his jaw wide open. And he said it's kind of like, you know, when you watch a TV, uh, with a TV set, and it, like, it kind of, like, skips a little bit. It's, like, the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and he has no idea what happened. And he said this happened for, uh, apparently, an undetermined period of time. Hey, man, you know my name. Like <laughs> <laughs> it was that. Because Iggy started thinking, he's like, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason... <laughs> Why that I'm here? There's a reason for me to be here. Yeah. And at the last minute, it hit him. He's like, boom. Oh, okay. All right. I got it. So he gets up from the tent while thinking, or probably saying out loud, my name is Iggy, and I am a musician, and I have to play. <laughs> I'm at work right now. Yes, exactly. They're like, hey, aren't you a singer? My name is Iggy, and I'm a musician, and I have to play. <laughs> so he says he, he got in the car. He like just raced over backstage where the rest of the band were waiting. So the rest of the band were also partaking in, in the drug atmosphere, of course. Mm -hmm. Like Ron Ashton, the guitarist, he liked to smoke pot and he dabbled in cocaine once in a while, but he was definitely not married to drugs like no. the other guys. Not at all. And Scott Ashton, the drummer, and Steve McKay, the saxophonist, they weren't into heroin quite yet. So they were just partying what you would call mildly <laughs> with lots of booze and maybe some weed. Uh, but then there was Dave Alexander, the bassist. 
And he was like the guy who had the lifelong addiction to alcohol. Yeah, he'd started when he was like 14 or something, right? Yeah, he was like very young, like yeah. maybe 12, 13, 14 years old. His parents kind of let him get away with anything when he was growing up. He'd go to school drunk. He'd drive drunk. He was very reckless, and he had very little discipline. But at this time, with the band taking off and him partying, was it, it just was getting more and more. It got too much in the way. He actually, according to Ron Ashton, abstained from drinking for like a few months. Yeah, so right he, before Ghost Lake. <laughs> yes, because he was he was getting sick all the time, and so he so he stopped drinking for a few months, which is probably the longest he'd ever gone without drinking at that point. And he showed up to Goose Lake sober with his girlfriend Esther. But once they got to the festival and they saw that there were 200,000 people, <laughs> Dave got really nervous and started drinking whiskey. Apparently a bottle of Kessel and smoking lots of hash. And That's bad whiskey. He might have taken some downers because <laughs> he was just so nervous. So their buddy, Scott Richardson, we talked about uh, from uh, SRC, Scott Richards case. Uh, he thinks he might have also uh, that Dave might have also taken PCP, too, which was also new to him. Yeah. So uh, everyone. Yes. <laughs> so at this point, every member of the band, they're experiencing they're they're experiencing their own highs from just a regular high to bugging out like Iggy and Dave. Yeah. And so they get on stage and according to Iggy, Ron and Scott, Dave just froze. Yeah. He forgot all the songs at that moment. Does he not play not, a single note the whole show. Nothing. But the show went on. And afterwards, backstage, Iggy was just so angry. Just so pissed off, he fired Dave on the spot. He's like, you're fired. I want Dave gone. I want Dave out of here. He's no longer playing in the band. Uh, and because, well, granted, like, it had been brewing for a while, Iggy yeah. being pissed off at Dave because Dave was showing up late to rehearsals or maybe not showing up at all. And it seemed to Iggy that Dave just wasn't so serious about the band because of it. So that was the final straw. Well, it's, it's not even necessarily that he wasn't so serious about it because everybody was doing drugs. Everybody was getting fucked up. But Dave couldn't handle it. Dave couldn't do both. Which you know, is crazy. It, if you've been drinking for 10 years, <laughs> how'd you not get good at it? And it, you know what? It, it's fine if, you know, you don't do uh, drugs or anything like that, you know, but he he could he was trying to keep up with everyone else and he just he couldn't do it. But, you know, as we also know from the Stooges, like if you're not in the drug game, it causes problems. Like yeah. if you're not, if everyone's doing heroin and you're not doing heroin, then it caused problems in the Stooges. It caused problems yeah. later on. If you're not in the fucking drug game, uh, you're not going to last long in the Stooges. So hell, that might have had a lot more to do with it than any of this shit. Well, maybe and maybe not. I think it, it just kind of depended on Iggy's mood because Iggy, obviously being the band leader, like, yeah, he did... Uh, you know, get together with some band members and, went and did heroin together like Scott Ashton. But then he fired Scott Ashton from drumming because Scott Ashton kept selling parts of his drum kits to, to buy more heroin. Yeah. So he's like, well, that's bad, too. So it was always kind of like going by these mood swings from somebody who's really into a lot of drugs. <laughs> so it really is. You can't win. It's rough. You can't win. Yeah. I mean, you're it, it's a whole band going going by the rules uh, that Iggy's making up in his head on the spot. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why the rest of the band, uh, they didn't say anything when Dave was fired. They kind of just accepted it and they didn't really want Dave to leave, but they just sat there kind of like, well, we're all high too. <laughs> what do we do? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that Dave Alexander was fired right after Goose Lake. Uh, and that was the turning point for the Stooges. That was the beginning of the end for the Stooges. Goose Lake. 
And that's the story we've been told for 50 years. Yes, all our 50 years. We've been hearing it all the time, every year. <laughs> the royal we. Everyone. <laughs> oh, right, every, you right, know, the, yes. the entire, you know, the you know historians of rock music. Yes, you know? exactly. Because yeah. the, the story was told by Iggy, was told by Ron, was told, you know, they're the ones that, that, that talked about this. Yeah, and we couldn't really hear the story from Dave because Dave died. Like... Two years later? He died in 1975. He died five 75. years later. Five years later, uh, yeah. At the age of 27, he was, yeah, he, he got, uh, he went to the hospital. He was sick with pancreatitis due to severe alcohol alcoholism. I mean, you're, you're not supposed to be drinking while you're growing. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, eventually he, he kind of knew it was going to happen. He Because after he got fired, he did move in with his parents. He stayed in Ann Arbor. He kind of kept in touch a little bit here and there with the Stooges but for the most part just 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 hung out and kept drinking until uh until OD'd, he, on, OD'd on alcohol he, yeah he just died yeah unfortunately at the age of 27 yeah and this was also and this was a time when you know the Stooges were uh they were not quite yet you know they well not even not quite yet the Stooges at the time were not uh seen as this legendary band you know the next wave hadn't come yet it's 1975 no one's asking Dave about the Stooges, because no one gives a fuck about the Stooges yet. You know, it's like it's a, the whole resurgence, like Meta when Metallica comes out and they get bigger in England, you know, or you know, twenty, thirty years later, when we can look at the entire history of rock and see how important the Stooges were to absolutely everything. That hadn't happened yet, so no one asked Dave about Goose Lake before he died. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Now, one of the great tragedies of rock history was that for decades, there was no good recordings of what was reportedly one of the best live bands in existence, namely the original Stooges lineup of Ron and Scott Ashton, Dave Alexander, and Iggy Pop, the dudes that were on the first two albums. But for the past few years, us Stooges fans have been hearing a rumor that someone over at Third Man Records in Detroit had come into possession of a coveted soundboard recording of that original Stooges lineup. And as it turned out, this soundboard recording was of Goose Lake. It was even, <laughs> even wrote it down. It was written down. It was written it down on the tape. The whole, whole time it had been around. In a basement. One of the most infamous shows in history. The Turning Point. And one of the most debated shows in history. Because some people said... It didn't quite go down like Iggy said it did. But Third Man was kind enough to remix the whole goddamn concert and release it on August 8th. 
Yes. It's so cool. Like, it's like, even just talking, like, I've heard it, I don't know how many times by now, but even just talk about it, I'm like, oh, it, is, it finally happened. We finally got one. Now, the tape itself was made by a man named Jim Cassily, who at the time was the manager of a folk rock duo named Tea Garden and Van Winkle. Who yeah, had- well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and Tea Garden and Van Winkle had scored a hit in 1970 with a song called God, Love, and Rock and Roll. think they were on ketamine <laughs> i mean the song's just that for thir- for three minutes okay you know, all right and, and and there you know that's a pr- actually a much more representative example of what the bands at goose lake were like than the stooges were like most of them sounded like that yeah yeah and because that song was briefly a hit it got it got to like number 22 on the charts i'd never fucking heard it before tea garden and van winkle were hired as the mcs for the Goose Lake Festival, because that was, pre- I mean, it's like fucking it's Chicago. It's fucking Savoy Brown. You know, it's mountain. You know, it's not, you know, it's not all the Stooges in the MC5. Remember that no one sounded like the Stooges in the MC5 in 1970. And since Jim Cassily was the manager for Tea Garden and Van Winkle, he finagled his way to the soundboard and recorded pretty much the whole festival from beginning to end. Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, not not every little bit. Like, yeah. I think he missed uh, Bob Seger, but yeah. <laughs> that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. But as it usually goes, Jim Cassily tossed these tapes into a box and plopped them into the corner of his basement <laughs> where they sat undiscovered until just four years ago, <laughs> 10 years after Cassily's death. Yeah, cause jo- Joshua Rogers, Jim's son. Because Jim's son, Joshua, he, he did know about all these stories that his dad would tell him about uh, just living in the 70s and working and recording and hobnobbing with all these rock stars. And Jim's dad's like, you know, I did date Debbie Harry, right? <laughs> He's like, yeah, sure, Dad. I know a, lo- I know a lot of you uh, 70s folks out there kind of uh, sometimes uh, are liberal uh-huh. with their... <laughs> With their truth, my time. Yeah. So you never know. Did he date Debbie Harry like Moby dated more Natalie Portman? I I don't know, <laughs> but that's what he said. That's what he said. Yeah. So Joshua's mom sold their house in 2016, and they had to get rid of a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it was just a, a farmhouse. Yeah. We all knew these tapes were somewhere in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, like Joshua Rogers, like knew about a bunch of tapes, and he saw like Goose Lake, and he was like, "Oh, that's cool." And then it kind of just. I don't know. He just didn't really think about it too much. And then eventually he's he pulled it out. He's like, I don't know if this is any good or anything at all. But may, maybe this could be kind of important. Yeah. I mean, he opened up the box that was labeled Goose Lake. He looked inside and he saw the Stooges. Yes. He saw, he saw a tape labeled The Stooges. And so he got a hold of a friend of his who got a hold of Jack White's Third Man Records, who... You know, Third Man, their Detroit label. Everyone at Third Man is a massive Stooges fan. 
So they were the perfect people to release this piece of history. They were very smart to yeah. fucking contact Third Man. They were behind uh, one of the books that we read for the Stooges series, Total Chaos. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Th- Third Man, they are the, uh, the fucking, they're the Stooges scholars of America. But when you listen to it, <laughs> when you listen to the recording, and it sounds fucking great, they did such a good job remixing it. What you hear is that things didn't go down quite like Iggy had always claimed. I know. <laughs> and that's why when I- Iggy did hear hear it, like he heard it in 2019 last year, he's like, wow, that's a lot better than I remember. <laughs> you don't say. You don't say. Because while Dave is very shaky, the show still fucking rocked. And he played. <laughs> he did. So that whole thing about freezing and not and not doing anything... That was wrong. It was absolutely wrong. You want to hear proof? Of course I want to hear. We all want to hear. It's so fucking good. the drugs they all took that's pretty impressive <laughs> that's impressive I, I get sleepy after a couple beers <laughs> as you can hear dave alexander is clearly playing the bass yeah see this set it's just funhouse <laughs> from beginning to end yeah they only switched up a couple of the songs because i think it was electra who wanted to do down in the street to go on first or whatever and they're like no well we like loose and that's why they they actually did play their set list the way they wanted the album to come out oh that's cool i actually yeah. didn't know that they were like no we like loose better we think loose <laughs> should but electra is like down in, on the street that's going to be the first single instead yeah but so they actually did play their their whole their entire funhouse set uh the whole album they did play at goose lake uh i would say the way they wanted it to. Yeah, the way they wanted it. Yeah, the way they wanted Funhouse to be released. So so we still don't have soundboard recordings of anything from the first album, but fuck. Yeah. Having soundboard recordings of Funhouse, uh, it's fantastic to have. And because it was Funhouse from beginning to end, that means the set included Dirt. And it also included the title track. Neither one of those songs... And I can't believe I never thought of this before. I can't believe no one ever thought of this before. Neither one of those songs can be played without bass. They both start with bass. So you're saying there won't be a song (laughs) without Dave Alexander. Yeah, exactly. If Dave Alexander didn't play, they couldn't play Dirt. But, as we'll hear right now, they fucking did. Listen... Thank you. 
I mean, he forgot who he was earlier that day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he uh, forgot his name, and he still sings wonderfully on this album. Yeah, well, I mean, like in the beginning, when when he they really go on, you could tell like Iggy's a tiny bit shaky. He's like kind of messing up with the words a little bit. But you know what? When it comes to live performance, it really doesn't matter necessarily about the lyrics. It's more like what Iggy Pop was feeling at that time, yeah. which is a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does make up some lyrics here and there. Well, it, but it's fun. It's it's all in in the and we'll moment. We'll get to the we'll get to the okay, lyrics we'll to, that he made okay, up. Okay. Here in a I want to tell it now. <laughs> but you're right. Uh, Dave is playing. Yeah, Dave, Dave is, is playing. playing. I mean, not, uh, Ron Ashton is also playing the guitar amazingly well. Ron Ashton is flawless. Yeah. Throughout this entire fucking thing, he is absolutely flawless. However, Dave Alexander does fuck up massively multiple times on every song because if you keep listening to dirt all the way through so you know they play a set almost an eight minute version well i guess there's a lot of silence in between songs which we'll get to in a second (laughs) uh but yeah i mean it's dirt it's a long song dave loses the plot about four minutes in in fact you can hear dave having a hard time keeping his shit together even on the opener on loose Because he starts off playing just fine, but slowly loses the beat more and more until he finally just stops playing. It's Iggy being like, let's go. Come yeah. on, man. Because Iggy said, like he did say in the liner notes to this album, he said that Dave was in the wrong key and loose and that he went for his chord changes too early. And Iggy said that he kept he kept hearing the same mistake over and over again, which led to losing the, the chorus and the, and the hook uh, for, for Iggy Pop while he was trying to sing, uh, that Ron and Scott were doing great and they're doing the best that they could. That everyone was doing their job, but that Dave sometimes was there and sometimes he wasn't. And when Dave would miss his cues... Iggy would turn to Dave to try to like catch his attention, like kind of like, you know, glaring at him and be like, hey man, you got to get your head in the game. And in those moments, like 
Iggy said, like, I did not see Dave playing anything at all. Yeah. So he does, Iggy does acknowledge, like, okay, the whole didn't play a note thing, that's not necessarily the truth now that I can hear this, but he Iggy Pop also said he did not regret firing Dave that night, and he would have done it again. It's bad enough. Yeah. I mean, he on Loose, he does figure it out eventually. About a minute, like He <laughs> stops playing for about a minute, and he does rejoin the band. And there's, you know, these long, minute-long stretches between songs, which I could imagine is Iggy going over to Dave and saying, like, you got to get your shit together, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like, fucking play, man. You got to fucking do it. And by the way, what is my name? <laughs> You know, and as per the clip we played during our Stooges uh, episode, you know, part three, uh, which up until now was the only document, you know, it does sound like Dave Alexander forgets how to play the bass for most of 1970. Yeah, it's on YouTube. And that's why it was the only thing that a lot of people could just like we did when we did our research. We checked out the YouTube videos that they have on 1970. And we were all like, yeah, they fucked up big time. But it's also on, you know, that video that was on like a Super 8 camera. So the sound is fucking terrible anyway. And you can hear in the album, you know, we're not going to play it as every single fucking song. You know, you got to go listen to it yourself. It's fucking it's on Spotify. It's on vinyl. We, I can't find it on vinyl in New York City. Well, we can order it. But I know you don't like ordering vinyl. I like going to a store. <laughs> it's going to be a while. Babe. It feels like cheating ordering off a of Discogs. <laughs> I ordered Machine Gun Etiquette off a of Discogs and it's just not it's just not as good. But anyway, that's my own thing. Uh, but yeah, you can hear on like 1970. He uh, he kind of tries to play kind of. Yeah. But he's not fucking figuring out. But, you know, he remembers what to do on Funhouse, the track after 1970, but he still starts it in the wrong fucking tempo. Steve McKay is fucking on point during the show. Remember Steve McKay, when he was asked to join them for Funhouse and to join them on the road, like when he got that call from me, Pop, like in the middle of the night, uh, Steve McKay had like finals the next day because he was in school. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, I'll just take them later. So he he was a young guy who just like just blew everything, <laughs> all caution in the wind. And he just went with them and just realized like, man, they are hard to keep up with. Yeah. And really listening to this uh, album, this live album, it gave me a new appreciation for Steve McKay uh, because, you know, I don't know a whole lot about saxophone. I don't know a whole lot about horn playing. You know, I'm not a jazz guy. Uh, so you know when you listen to his uh when you listen to his playing on like Funhouse and LA Blues which we'll get to in a second uh it even on the album like it kind of sounds like he's just playing whatever like woo like it's just, yeah. yeah so but you can hear on Goose Lake like he fucks up a couple of times and that's when you realize like that chaos is ordered you know all of that has a point all of that's in a certain key like it's very difficult to do that you know there is a method behind the madness. 
But concerning Dave Alexander, while flubbing like this might have been okay for a show at like Grandy Ballroom or even like a show at Ungano's or something like that. Oh, you, you, you're talking about what Iggy did later on. Because yeah. <laughs> Iggy did, fucked up enough shows that he could have just, he should have just fired himself. <laughs> really? Remember, this was a festival. This shit went down in front of 200,000 people. At least, I mean, that's the estimate. At the very least, it was 100,000 people. And if you listen to the album, like really listen between the songs, the audience sounds like a bunch of feral fucking animals. <laughs> like, it sounds terrifying. But even so, it's still the goddamn Stooges, right after they recorded Funhouse, which for me is the exact band at the exact time in history that I'd travel back to see. And now, I got the closest thing I'm ever going to get to that. Plus, we get to hear different takes on songs we've heard a million times, like this variation on TVI, in which Iggy Pop does a little bit of improv <laughs> and adds the line, my heart is sinking down into my balls. Gonna make me cry because it's a big old balls. <laughs> I think that's what he was saying. <laughs> Let's hear it. Well, now my heart is sinking down in my balls. I'm down in my balls. Heart is sinking in my balls. Gonna make me cry. It's a big old. That was just what he was feeling at the time. It's a performance. It's very much in the moment when you perform, and that's what he was feeling. He is the he is the poet. Yeah, you know. So why why not? Yeah, he, I I just imagine the heart in the balls <laughs> every time. Funny thing is, though, is that, you know, Scott Ashton, the drummer, he fucks up almost as much as Dave. <laughs> he fucks up, although a lot of that is trying to adjust to Dave. And, you know, when it's the rhythm section, when one of them fucks up, the other one fucks up as well, usually. But, yeah, th he does fuck up quite a bit. Uh, and Iggy fucks up plenty, too, because he's on goddamn ketamine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only stooge who gives a fucking flawless performance is Ron Ashton. And this is Ron Ashton at the top of his fucking game. Oh, come on. You see that path? Yeah, I love this song. He's great. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many great solos in that. Again, just fucking go listen to it or go buy it. You know, either one. But this is a great document of history. It's the Stooges fresh off a recording funhouse, playing what sounds like the most unintentionally evil festival of the era outside of Altamont. <laughs> but really, my ultimate opinion, just go listen to it. Because while they're absolute moments of magic in L.A. blues, 
you have to listen to the whole song to catch it. It only makes sense if you hear the buildup. It only makes sense if you hear you got to sit down and listen to it, man. Yeah, yeah. But that's you know, L.A. Blues is it's a it is a magical fucking recording of that song. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Speaking of L.A. Blues... There's one last story that Iggy has told for years that gets totally debunked by the Goose Lake recording. Yeah, because according to Iggy Pop, you know, the, the band, they were playing, there were a few songs in, and, and Iggy said he, he was really feeling the, uh, the vibe of the audience band. <laughs> yeah, man, I was like really feeling what they were doing, you know. The energy was good. <laughs> Everyone was getting into it. The audience were dancing. But the problem was there was a fence in front of the stage, and because Iggy said he don't like no barriers between him and the audience. <laughs> he said he found it insulting. <laughs> he wanted to do something about it. <laughs> so he raised his arm to gesture a little bit and he yells, come a little closer. So the audience started tearing the fence apart. But as the crowd started moving in to break the, you know, to break the fence, the, the big mean authorities tried to put a stop on the show. Like these big mean guys, these guys, apparently he called them like uh, these football type guys who yeah. like to stare at their muscles in, in, in the morning <laughs> in there. <laughs> but the guys working security, a lot of them were just a lot of, I mean, well, as we said, like the show was very, uh, the, the cops were kind of more like on the perimeter. They're on the outside. Yeah, it was a containment type thing. Yes. And the White Panther Party, John Sinclair's, uh, you know group of people uh they were the ones uh you know heading a lot of the security and also they got a lot of the the venue got a lot of security of like uh, well 19 year old kids 20 yeah. year old kids uh, they were just kids who were who were just volunteering they were doing a job and they were ordered to restrain iggy from diving into the show <laughs> <laughs> they would grab his arms and pull him back but iggy got away somehow and, and he just started <laughs> running in the, in the on the stage <laughs> and started yelling tear it down tear it down and according to one of the security guards people started ripping the planks off the fence which created even more mayhem and the story that iggy has been telling for a while was that as the chaos was going on with the fence the, the promoters ordered to revolve the stage back and turn off the lights because for the goose lake festival what they did with the stage which was actually kind of genius very cool is that they had a revolving stage which is like it moved like a turntable so the first front part of the stage would be the band playing and then the second you know back part which is like you know uh closed off in the backstage area would be where the next band that would play would set up uh, all their equipment and everything so that way when the first band finishes they revolve the stage and the next band can play within seconds yeah 
It's a great idea. So you don't have to wait 30 minutes between sets like you normally do in a festival because they had this revolving stage. Yeah. And, you know, Iggy said they pulled the plug. They pulled the plug on us, man. Yes, exactly. (laughs) They they started revolving the stage bag. They turned off the lights. So the band's roadies, uh, the Stooges' roadies, uh, Bernie and Dogman, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they were apparently badass Vietnam vets. Uh, Dogman, he was a former Marine. And uh, Bernie, he was a tank commander in the Army. They'd both been in Vietnam. Vietnam, uh, they ran over to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> According to Niggy Pop, Bernie <laughs> climbed the light tower. Somehow he got through all those people and climbed the light tower, which is where the, the, the lights sh- you know shine on the stage. He punched the guy working the, the lights in the face. He just knocked him out cold and turned the lights back on. And Dogman, who was backstage, took three Dogman! Sec- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he took three security guards. Uh, he took three guys down. Yeah. And just wailing at him, punching him left and right. And then he found the reverse button <laughs> <laughs> and pressed it. <laughs> and so that way the stage would go right back and the Stooges could finish the show. Because nothing's going to tell Iggy Pop what, who, what to do, man. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> many years later, and actually in the book Total Chaos, uh, when Iggy was asked about the story about the roadies, he said, uh, actually, I don't know if that was true. <laughs> not, don't know anymore. None <laughs> of it happened. No, no, none of that happened. <laughs> none of that happened. Well, the thing is, is that Iggy Pop for many years kind of looked like like the rebellious, like cool dude. Like he got, you know, he's sticking it to the to the man, to the authorities. Meanwhile, people are just working at a show, trying to like get have everything work properly. And, but and he was like, yeah, well, whatever. They threatened to, to arrest me. They're threatened to sue us. The promoters and the security said, you'll never play within 20 miles of here. It's like, you're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. But it, it made him look a lot more badass because he's just like, look, there's a wall there, man. And I don't, I don't like no walls. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I like walls, but this time I didn't like a wall. <laughs> didn't That's happen. quoted in his book. <laughs> <laughs> and you can actually hear it in one of the songs. He does say, like, it's a wall. Yeah. It's a wall. <laughs> yeah, it's a wall. But that's what you hear is just nonsense. It's, it's that whole, like, Homer Simpson thing where, like. Well, $5, get out of here. Like, it's <laughs> exactly. Where he pictures his night going where he's in, like, he's drinking a dry martini and he's being all witty and making everyone laugh. But really, he's just being a drunk asshole. <laughs> Who stares at Ned Flanders' wife's tits. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the plug was pulled. Yes, we hear that on the record. But the probable reason was because the Stooges were at the end of the show. They just played Funhouse, which is pretty fucking intense. And then they closed with L.A. Blues, which didn't really jibe with the rest of the festival. And when the plug was pulled, they were about seven minutes into this. They just stop. Okay. And, and wait, wait for it. We do hear confirmation that they just stop 
on the record. Cheers. All right, let's hear it for the Stooges. Come on. <laughs> that was them. That was the Stooges, and they're just done now. Yeah, that was either Tea Garden or Van Winkle <laughs> coming out and saying. Because they came on afterwards. Yeah, so. they were the MCs. Yeah, it was either Tea Garden or Van Winkle going. Yeah, the Stooges, come on. All right, that was cool. Next up is Mountain. You know, Someone check his balls. I think his heart is in it. See, he looks like he has a big old ball. Help him, please. <laughs> but I can see how Iggy convinced himself that he had commanded people to tear down the fence. Because between songs, you can hear him saying just cryptic shit. Like the type of cryptic shit that like, really fucked up people say. is like, I want to go over there. And one guy wants to go over there. Like, it doesn't... It's cryptic. It's, it's just the type of shit that you say when you're fucked up, and it makes total and complete sense in your head, but it means nothing. But his memory turned it into, I commanded people to tear down the fence. I commanded this. I commanded that. There was this fight. There was that. No, it all happened in Iggy's head. So in the end, what Goose Lake proves is that the actual history of rock and roll can never be fully documented in a neat little package the way we'd want it to be. I know, we try so hard. We try so and hard. We, <laughs> and I feel like we fail time and time. And, or we do the best we can. We do the best we yeah. can, you know? At the end of the day, you know, we tell these stories because they're fun. You know, we tell these stories because they're good legends. They're good stories. And they really, can be inspiring. They can be very inspiring. Yeah, we've been inspired. We've been inspired by you know the story of suicide, the story of the slits, you know, the story of the cramps. You know, inspired by the story of the Stooges. Like we 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 talk about this music and we talk about these musicians because they do inspire us. They make us happy. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. All that matters is the music, and that's it. And the Stooges at Goose Lake is a wonderful document of just good fucking music even if it is a little imperfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, not it's, a little imperfect. Very it, it, imperfect, just, it, it, but it, hey, man. Yeah. It's what it's... Like, you can listen to it and imagine... Like, for the first time, I could sit down and imagine what a Stooges show in 1970 was like. Well, that's the thing. It, it, it uh, humanizes them. Like, now you can see them as a bunch of dudes uh, in their 20s. They're uh, a, a guy, like anyone that you'd see on the street. It, it's not so much like uh, we're not trying to, like, break down this legend or this myth, but so much it's, like, something that's more relatable, like fucking up at work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not... I mean, I don't think a lot of people take ketamine. No. But uh, when they go to work. But, you know, this kind of Some thing... Some people take ketamine forgetting they have to show up for a shift that day. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it happens. I mean, I guarantee you how many of our listeners have gotten high and suddenly remembered the shift starts at four because <laughs> they thought it was their day off and they forgot that they switched a day with Sherry and they're working on Wednesday this week instead of Thursday. We'll tell your story later. <laughs> but that's the thing about this story. They were a bunch of dudes who happened to have a lot of talent and they were faced with a lot of things in their time and also... A, Maybe not the most disciplined and maybe not the most well-mannered people, but uh, uh, there's something that, that we talk we talk about this 50 years later for a reason. Yeah, there's really something magical about these recordings. There's something magical about the band. And it's just, it's so cool to hear. So thank you, Third Man. Yes. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, Jack White. <laughs> like, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you to all the, all the people who worked on this. Uh, it's just such a cool thing to hear. Uh, and if you want to listen to it in its entirety, which I, I highly recommend you do, uh, it's on uh, Spotify, uh, the just uh, live at Goose Lake. But if you really want to support uh, record companies out there right now, if you really want to support 
support the people that put out this music and make all this uh, possible uh, by the record, by the LP. You know, the, apparently, like, I haven't been able to find it yet. No. I will find it eventually. I'm going to order it and hide it somewhere. <laughs> so that way it's like you found it. Well, record, record Grotch is ordering me a copy. I don't know why it's better for my record store to order me a copy and I go over walk, you know, but you know, walk over and pick it up and bring it home than it is for the fucking mailman to bring it to me. But (laughs) Hey, you know what? It's, it's supporting your local record stores. And also, yeah, don't forget this weekend is record store day. Yes. Uh, So go out and uh, support your local record stores. The record store day releases I'm getting this year is Martin Denny's exotic Moog. I'm getting Marvin Pontiac, the asylum tapes. It's super cool. A compilation of Dutch psychedelic music, which, hey, there's some good stuff. Shocking Blue. Can't fucking beat Shocking Blue. Uh, And there is a new uh, Iggy Pop um, concert that's coming out uh, this Saturday on Record Store Day. It's Kiss My Blood, live in Paris, (laughs) 1991. This is right. This is the Brick by Brick tour. Uh, So you got Butt Town. You got a lot. You got a lot of great. And uh, apparently it's uh, it sounds really good. I haven't heard it yet, but it's supposed to sound uh, really fucking yeah, good. Yeah, so that's when his heart migrated to his butt. Actually, it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I'm, I'm excited for that. Very excited for that. Uh, but yeah, Record Store Day, uh, August 29th, uh, 2020. Be sure to call up your uh, local record store to make sure they have the, the releases that you want. Uh, if you go to recordstoreday.com, you can uh, see all of uh, the releases that are coming out and you can see uh, which ones you want. But yeah, always support your local record store. And we also have one thing that we got to announce. We have partnered with, this is actually pretty cool. We've partnered with Cream Magazine. How awesome is that? (laughs) Yeah, Cream, uh, who is uh, a rock and roll, like they were the cool alternative to Rolling Stone. Like when Rolling Stone said Funhouse is trash, uh, Lester Bangs wrote in Cream Magazine, this is one of the most important albums of the decade. Uh, Cream Magazine. They were right. Yeah, they were absolutely right. Cream Magazine was super cool. And a new documentary uh, just came out. Uh, We haven't had a chance to watch it yet because we've been traveling for days and days and days uh, on our vacation. Yes, well, we went to the forest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there wasn't a lot of opportunity in the forest to watch a documentary. Uh, But yeah, uh, there is a new documentary. It's called Cream, America's Only Rock and Roll Magazine. Uh, And if you want to check it out, uh, it's $10. seems like a cool fucking thing to watch right now. I can't wait to watch it. Can't watch it. We're going to fucking watch it tonight. Uh, Go to Cream, that's cream, by the way, spelled with two E's, C-R-E-E-M dot media, uh, and type it slash N-D-I-S, and you can get it for just $10. But yeah, make sure to go to cream dot media slash N-D-I-S, and uh, check out this uh, documentary. Lester Bangs, R.I.P. That's so cool. I'm yeah. so glad that they reached out and everything. I I feel cool. I feel cool. I yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank y'all very much uh, for listening. We hope y'all have enjoyed uh, listening to us talk about this uh, piece of music history as much as we enjoy talking about it. Uh, and we'll be back next week with Dead Kennedys Part 2. Yeah, we're going to continue our Dead Kennedys. I mean, Dead Kennedys Part 1 was a great... Uh, we're setting the scene a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, uh, introducing the characters. and Introducing now part, the scene. Exactly. Part 2, we're going to get more and more into the story. It's going to be... I, I'm so excited for this. You know how much fun I have with with the Dead Kennedys. is probably my most favorite series that we're, we have done. And we're not even halfway done no not even close no I, I've been having a hell of a time with the two I, I forgot how much I fucking love dead Kennedys. yeah I forgot how much they like actually meant to me how much they meant to me uh growing up how much they've influenced me throughout the years like I, I forgot 
I don't know how I forgot, but you know, going back and listening to Fresh Fruit for Riding Vegetables, like the whole, uh, it, it it's like a whole new musical, a whole new corner of the musical world was reopened. Uh, so yeah, we're having a lot of fun with it. Hope you guys are having fun with it too. Uh, so we will, uh, we'll talk to y'all next week. Thank you very much. Goodbye. 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 This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.